0: Welcome, and thanks for listening to the Harvest Lakeshore Sermon Podcast. For more information about us, visit harvestlakeshore.org. Hebrews chapter 13,
1: and we'll be reading verse 7 and verse 17 through 19. So that's Hebrews chapter 13. Verses 7 and 17 through 19. Remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you have a clear conscience, desiring to act honorably in all things, I urge you the more earnestly to do this in order that I may be restored to you the sooner. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated.
0: Well, as you can tell by uh, Sarah's reading of chapter 13, verse 7 and verses 17 to 19, this uh, this letter to the Hebrews is, um, I guess today we would say it's, it's kind of winding down, right? It's, uh, it's nearing the end. Uh, we're in chapter 13, the last part of the letter, and it's uh, just a few more verses that are in it. And uh, as Sarah just read a moment ago, uh, the writer of the book of the Hebrews is not sure whether he will ever see his readers again. I mean, he says in the the last verse that she read that he would like to be restored to them, but um, he's not sure if that's going to happen. He'd like to be able to be with them. He'd like to be able to encourage them, like to be able to influence them and have an impact, an ongoing impact in their lives, but he's just not sure if that's going to happen. He'd like it to happen, but he's not sure. So the question is, where will the recipients of this letter look for spiritual leadership from this point forward. I mean, he's been able to write this letter to them, been able to give them some great instruction and encouragement along, and they would be able to look to this letter and and find direction and find help and find all of those things. But going forward, going forward, what's going to happen? Where will they look for spiritual leadership? Well, the answer that we're given in the verses that Sarah just read is that they will look to the leaders in their church. They'll look to the leaders in their church. So it's not surprising to us that in this final chapter, the writer of Hebrews refers to the leaders of the church. In the first 12 chapters of the book of Hebrews, the writer never refers, never once refers to the leaders of the church. But here in the final chapter, because he's wrapping up the chapter, and he wants to kind of direct their attention to uh, the ongoing influence and impact they'll need in their life, he wants to direct them to their church leaders, he mentions them three times. In verse 7, as Sarah just read, he tells them to remember their leaders. In verse 17, he tells them to obey their leaders. And then in verse 24, he tells them to greet all of their leaders. So obviously, this church had leaders. And clearly, the writer of the book of Hebrews wants to strengthen the relationship between the people and their leaders. He recognizes that. He understands that. He wants to develop that relationship. He is almost finished with his influence. Uh, this 13-chapter this book, it's, it's almost done. It's almost wrapped up. And when he's finished, it'll be the leaders of the church that will still be there. It'll be the leaders of the church that are going to carry on the work that this letter has encouraged. Now, you might ask the question, why is that important to us? Well, I think it's important to us because uh, as Americans, and even as biblical Americans, we sort of have a, a love affair with uh, individualism. Uh, we don't like to be told submit or obey anyone. It's just not part of who we are. We just don't really like that very much at all. We are prone to be very wary about leadership. And when we read in Scripture a call to obedience and a call to submission to leadership, we are a little uncertain about that. We question that. We kind of wonder a little bit about all of that. And yet the New Testament is unmistakable in its teaching that not only should the local church have leaders, very important to the welfare of the church. So this morning we're going to talk about church leadership. We're going to talk about we and our leaders. How we should relate to them, how they should relate to us. What do we learn from these verses that Sarah just read a moment ago? And in developing these verses this morning, we're actually going to focus the bulk of our attention on verse 17. Uh, we will reference verse 17 and verse 19 uh, as needed along the way, but our primary thoughts this morning are going to be directed to verse 17. And we're going to do that because I think there are three very important things that are shared with us in this verse. And those are the three things we're going to look at today. In this verse, we'll discover something of the objective of church leadership. We'll discover something of the resources of church leadership. And finally, we'll discover something of our response to church leadership. So we're going to talk about we and our leaders, our church leaders, this morning out of these verses. So let's begin by talking about the objective of church leadership. Look with me again at verse 17. Verse 17 reads, "'Obey your leaders and submit to them, "'for they are keeping watch over your souls "'as those who will have to give an account. "'Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, "'for that would be of no advantage to you.'" Now, as we look at this verse, there are two phrases in the verse that really kind of draw our attention to the objective of church leadership. One of the phrases is found at the very, very end of the verse And it's the phrase, that would be of no advantage to you. The other phrase is found in the middle of the verse, and that's the phrase, they are keeping watch over your souls. Or literally, they are keeping watch on behalf of your souls. So when we put those two phrases together, it tells us that the objective of leadership, according to this verse, is the advantage or the profit or the benefit of the people. And they do this primarily by keeping watch over or staying on the alert over or on behalf of our souls. So when you put that together, the objective of leadership is the profit or the good of the people, especially the good of our souls. That is their objective goal. That is their primary responsibility. So the primary job of the leaders of Harvest Lakeshore, the leaders of our church, is not simply to get decisions for Christ on the front end, though that is very important, but more than that, their goal, their objective, their desire is to teach and to live and to warn and instruct in such a way that the souls of professing followers of Christ in the church are kept watch over. That's what they do. They stay on the alert for our souls. They stay on the alert for our souls. So this is one of the things that makes church leadership so serious. Keeping watch over the souls of the people of the church, that is their ongoing work. And that happens through the teaching, their teaching. It happens through their modeling. It happens through their warning. It happens through their correcting. Uh, as they do all of this in regard to the people of the church, that is the objective of church leadership. That is what they do, and it is for the advantage, it is for the benefit it is for the profit of our souls. So that's their task primarily. That is their job primarily. Now, what are the resources that they have at their disposal to accomplish that objective of profiting or benefiting or the good of our souls? Well, we're told in the, here in this verse what some of those resources are. We're told in this verse how the leaders of the church are to go about accomplishing their objective. We're told what resources they have at their disposal, and three of them are actually given to us in this verse, and they are simply watchfulness, joyfulness, and seriousness. Those are the three resources listed in this verse that really help them to accomplish the objective of looking out for our souls, benefiting our souls. Verse number one, for they're carrying out their objective, is watchfulness. Look at verse 17 again. It says, obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls. So the spiritual leaders of our congregation, they are what we might call, they are the watchers, all right? They are the watchers. They are the ones above all others who are kind of on the alert. They are the ones who are vigilant in people. The word over that we find here, where they keep watch over our souls, it literally means on behalf of or for the sake of. So their watching, their vigilance, is on behalf of our souls. It is for the sake of our souls. So what do leaders need to be watchful or vigilant about so that the people's souls, our souls, will be benefited? So that our souls, as I was thinking about that and reading and preparing for this sermon, I came across the teaching of John Piper on this text. And John Piper suggests four things And I want to share them with you because I think he nails it right on the head. Four things that they are to be watchful about as they are trying to carry out their objective of benefiting our souls. Here's the first one. They are to be watchful to be biblical. They are to be watchful to be biblical. In other words, they are to watch the word of God. If you look back at verse 7 of Hebrews 13, the writer says this. He says, remember your leaders. Why? Why? Because they are those who spoke to you the word of God. They are those who spoke to you the word of God. So leaders accomplish their objective by and through the word of God. Not primarily their own words, but it is the word of God. They are not people just with authority and with respect, specifically the authority of the word of God. And that's why we're called to obey them. That's why we're called to submit to them. So the biggest advantage, the biggest benefit, the biggest profit that the leaders of our church can bring to our souls is in keeping us hearing the Word of God, and in keeping us believing the Word of God, and in keeping us following the Word of God, and obeying the Word of God, and loving the Word of God. Leaders is to help us pay close attention to the Word so that we don't drift away from the Word Because if we did drift away from the Word, that would be of no advantage to our souls and wouldn't allow them to carry out their objective. So number one, they are to be watchful to be biblical. The second thing that Piper mentions is that they are to be watchful to be Christ-centered. They're to be watchful to be Christ-centered. I mean, when you stop and think about it, Christ is really what the Word is all about. That's why in Hebrews chapter 1 and verse 2, the author of Hebrews says this, In these last days, God has spoken to us by His Son. In other words, the Son of God, Christ, is really the culmination of the Word of God, the culmination of the speaking of God, the culmination of the message of God. In these last days, He's spoken to us by His Son. So the Son of God, Christ, is the Word from God need to hear most of all. In Hebrews 3 and verse 1, we read, Therefore, holy brothers, you who share in a heavenly calling, consider Jesus. He doesn't say to consider the Old Testament prophets, though there is value there. Doesn't even say consider the writings of the apostles, though there's value there. He says, no, consider Jesus. And that's what our leaders are to say over and over again to us. They are to constantly remind us to consider Jesus, that's what we're to be doing, and that's what they're to be encouraging us to do. So to do that, the, li- the leaders of our church, they must be watching Jesus, and they must be knowing Jesus, and they must be following Jesus, and they must be loving Jesus above everything else. In Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 2, we're told, let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and profiter of our faith. Well, folks, if Jesus is the founder or the author and perfecter of our faith, then leaders, the leaders of our church, must relentlessly speak with their mouths and speak with their lives, look to Jesus. That's what they need to be doing with their lives, and that's what they need to be encouraging us to do through their teaching and through their leading. So they need to be watchful, to be Christ-centered. The third thing that Piper mentions is that they need to be watchful of their own conduct. In other words, watchful to be examples. Look again at verse 7 of Hebrews 13. It says, Remember your leaders. They are those who spoke the word of God to you. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. So we as people in the church are called to consider our leaders' conduct. In other words, to look carefully at their conduct and to imitate their faith. Now, folks, I recognize that all followers of Jesus Christ should be godly. All of us should seek to model the characteristics of God in our lives. We're all to set good examples. But on top of that, God instructs the church to look at the lives of its leaders and to follow them. That's part of the reason why there should be a higher standard for leadership in the church than there is simply for membership This is also why failures in church leaders are actually worse than failures in church members, and it's why restoration to leadership should be much more difficult than restoration to membership. I mean, Paul says something very similar in 1 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 16. He says this to leaders of the church, pay close attention to yourself and to your teaching. Persevere in these things, for as you do this, You will ensure salvation for those who hear you. So the leaders of our church must be both watchful in their teaching and also watchful of their own conduct, watchful to be examples to we, the people. And here's the fourth thing. They must be watchful in caring for the people, watchful in caring for the people. In other words, they must keep their eye on the people. In Hebrews chapter 10, Verse 24 and 25, probably two of the most familiar verses in the book of Hebrews, we're told this, let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. So it's obvious from those two verses that the watching over the church body is a shared responsibility. It's not just the leader's responsibility. It is the people's responsibility as well. That's one of the reasons why we as a church here at Harvest Lakeshore and why the, uh, uh, the Great Commission call on, and so they realized how important small groups are so that that caring can take place. The leaders of our church, or any church, can't know us all of us with the depth that each of us need to be known. They can't give each of us the kind of personal care and encouragement and challenge that we should have. That's why we need to watch over each other. That's why we need to strengthen each other. That's why we need to stir up each other and love each other and call each other to account. Over each other for the sake of stirring each other up to love and good works, then how much more are the leaders to be doing this same thing? So watchfulness, watchfulness in being biblical, watchfulness in being Christ centered, watchfulness in uh, in caring for the people, and watchfulness of their own example. Watchfulness is the first resource that leadership in a church has in accomplishing their objective. They need to be the watchers. They need to be watching on behalf of our souls. But there's another resource that's given here. Another resource that's given to the leaders of our church, to the church, that helps them carry out their objective. And that is the resource of joyfulness. Joyfulness. Church leaders are to be joyful in their leading. We see this at the end of verse 17 the end of verse 17, the writer says this, let them do this. In other words, let them carry out their objective with joy and not with groaning. Well, why should they do it with joy and not with groaning? He says why. For that would be of no advantage to you. So the profit or the benefit of the advantage of spiritual leadership for our souls comes at least in part through our leader's joy. Through our leader's joy. So if the leaders of our church do their work begrudgingly, if they do their work with complaining and with groaning and, and, and with sort of sadness, the author of the of Hebrews 13:17 says, this will be of no advantage to us as the people. The advantage comes through their joy. So the joy of leadership, it is not optional, it is actually essential which is why Paul said of church leaders in 2 Corinthians chapter 1 verse 24 not that we lorded over your faith but we are workers with you for your joy for your joy now folks as we all know joy is not something that can simply be taken for granted no joy is something that uh, joy is something that uh, it, it takes work it takes effort it takes it takes energy it just doesn't come naturally it takes work to maintain joy, and if we're going to maintain joy, and if our leaders are going to maintain their joy, then we and they direct it back to Christ and His all-satisfying greatness over and over again. They and we must preach the gospel to ourselves every single day. It's keeping our focus on Christ, and they're keeping their focus on Christ and on the gospel that allows us to maintain that joy. It's so important for us. It's so important for us. In fact, it's so important that even the people in this text are commanded to help our leaders do them again. It is literally saying, you, the people, let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. So I think a great question to ask ourselves if we want the leaders of our church to accomplish their objective in other words, the benefiting, the advantaging of our souls, if we want them to do that well, then a question that we now need to ask ourselves as the people is this, what am I doing to contribute to their joy? What am I doing to encourage them? What am I doing to lift them up? What am I, what am I doing to, to allow them to main, maintain happiness in the work that they do? How are my attitudes contributing to their joyfulness? How is my my conduct contributing to their joyfulness? How is what I do, my service, what I don't do, how is that contributing to their joyfulness? Because joyfulness is essential to our souls being advantaged, which is the primary objective of church leadership. Now all of that leads us to a third resource of leadership in the accomplishment of their objective, and that is seriousness, seriousness. If they're going to accomplish their task, it's going to take seriousness. I mean, look again at verse 17. The author says, obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls, look at this next phrase, as those who will have to give an account. As those who will have to give an account. What that means is that when the leaders of our church here at Harvest Lakeshore someday stand before the judgment seat of Christ, he is going to say something like this. And again, I'm not trying to put words in God's mouth, okay? But he's going to say something like this to them. He's going to say to them, what did you do to advantage, to benefit, to profit the souls of the members of Harvest Lakeshore? What did you teach to profit their souls? What did you, how did you live to profit their souls? What steps did you take In the case of the disobedient and rebellious, or the suffering and grieving, or the perplexed or the lonely, or the aged or the teenagers or the children, and this text says that they're going to have to answer that question. The text says that they will have to give an account how they carried out their objective. So in other words, the work of church leadership, it is a a serious work. It is a serious business. It is not something flippant. It is not something trivial. It is not something uh, shallow. It is immensely serious. Now, when something's serious, it doesn't mean that it's sad. It doesn't mean that it's burdensome. It doesn't mean that it's, it's depressing. You know? I think it just means that it's important. In fact, I think the main answer at the judgment seat of Christ that they ought to give to Christ is simply this. I sought to lead the people into a love for God and a passion to follow Jesus Christ a love for God and a passion to follow Jesus Christ that could not be robbed by cancer, that could not be robbed by calamity, that could not be robbed by criticism or anything else that takes place on this earth. That's how I sought to advantage their soul by directing them to love God and to have a passion for following the Lord Jesus Christ. That is a serious business, but that is not a sad business. That is not a discouraging business or a depressing business. That is an amazing, an amazing business business. So watchfulness, joyfulness, and seriousness, these are the resources leadership in the church is given to accomplish their objective of benefiting or bringing advantage to the souls of we, the people, in helping us to persevere in our faith. Now, I hope up to this point in time, we've seen enough to, at the very least, get us to pray for our leaders They have a big job. They have a big objective. And even though there are resources there, these are big resources and and sometimes hard resources and all that kind of stuff. So it's not an easy thing to do. So I hope we've seen enough in this passage so far, at the very least, to get us to pray for our leaders and to encourage our leaders, to pray for future leaders, and to encourage others to seek to become future leaders. I mean, their responsibility is immense. Their responsibility is immense. And as we pray for them, we want to pray that they not think of their work in terms of rights of authority, but in terms of responsibility to benefit. That is their primary task. It's not about rights of authority. It's not about rights of leadership. It's not about all the the authority they have. It's responsibility to benefit, responsibility to benefit. So now let's consider the third thing. How can we help them carry out their objective, right? How can we do that? How can we help them carry out this objective using these resources that have been given? Well, that brings us to the third point of verse 17, and that is our response to church leadership, our response to church leadership. First, we looked at the objective of leadership, then the resources of leadership, and the third thing we want to talk about from this verse, verse 17, is our response to church leadership. What is that to be? Well, the response God asks for is actually given at the very beginning of verse 17, and that response is, obey your leaders and submit to them. Obey your leaders and submit to them. Now, I wanna be honest with you. Addressing this short little phrase at the beginning of verse 17, I find it to be very difficult. I find it to be a very difficult thing. And I find it to be difficult for two reasons. First of all, this phrase in this day and age is very culturally difficult, right? I mean, we said at the beginning of the message that the defining spirit in the United States today is just a spirit of independence. It's a spirit of kind of self-rule and self-will. It is not a spirit of submission to the will of another. Anything that enhances my individual liberty to do as I want to do, that's a good thing. And anything that encumbers me or limits my ability to do as I please, that's a bad thing in our culture today. Self is king in our culture. Self-rule, is, it seems as if it's the highest law in our culture. And so that makes this text culturally outrageous to think that anybody would tell us to obey leaders and submit to them. In our culture, that is an outrageous thing. Another part of our culture that makes this text difficult is that authority, both in the political realm, the governmental realm, local realm, school realm, church realm, whatever, has many times been abused. So we have some legitimate misgivings, right? I mean, you know, we got to be careful about making obedience to leaders and submission to leaders the norm because they don't always uh, execute that leadership in a proper way, and so we're, we're cautious about that. In fact, there have been books written today about spiritual abuse and books written about churches that abuse, and what they have in mind, at least in part, is the use of power to manipulate and coerce and use people to enhance the leader's status, or stroke the leader's ego, and sometimes line the leader's pockets. So when we think about that, it makes this text difficult. It makes this phrase difficult. So addressing this part of the text in this cultural atmosphere, it is not an easy thing to do. Not at all. And not only is there the cultural difficulty, but there's also what we might call the biblical difficulty. In understanding this text, this phrase, obey your leaders and submit to them. I mean, what exactly is meant by this? I mean, it's not easy to know exactly what obedience to leaders and submission to leaders should look like in actual practice. You say, well, why is that true? Well, just think of what Paul writes, or what Luke writes in Acts 20, verse 30 about the Apostle Paul. Paul is talking to the leaders of the church at Ephesus, and he says this to them For among your own selves, men will arise. Speaking perverse things to draw away the disciples after them. So the Bible teaches that sometimes church leaders go bad. The Bible teaches that sometimes church leaders teach the wrong things and they do the wrong things. The implication is that some elders and some pastors and some church leaders will turn bad and will try to lead followers of Christ away. And therefore, those leaders should not be obeyed, submitted to. So this means that the command in verse 17 to obey and submit to church leaders, it is not an absolute command. It is not that. And then you take what Paul writes in 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 19 to 20. In those two verses, Paul gives some very blunt instruction on what to do if church leaders are found to be in sin. I mean, let me just read those two verses. Paul writes, do not receive an accusation against an elder except on the basis of two or three witnesses. Those who continue in sin rebuke in the presence of all so that the rest also will be fearful of sinning. In other words, individual leaders in the church are not perfect. They are not above error. They are not above mistake. There will be times when they must repent, times when they must make public apology, times when they need to be publicly disciplined. That's a understanding, obey your leaders and submit to them a little difficult. And then in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 2 and 3, Peter writes this, shepherd the flock of God among you, exercising oversight, not for sordid gain, but with eagerness, nor yet is lording it over those allotted to your charge, but proving to be examples to the flock. So there there is real leadership in the church, but there should not be what Peter calls lording it over the flock. Or using positions of leadership in the church for sleazy personal gain. In fact, that phrase, sleazy personal gain, is probably the closest phrase in the New Testament to come to this modern idea idea of, of spiritual abuse. So this command, shepherd the flock of God and exercise oversight, should make church leaders tremble a little bit, tremble with the weight of spiritual responsibility that is theirs. So what do we do with all that? I mean, here we have all these cultural difficulties, and here we have all of these sort of biblical difficulties. We're trying to really understand how we apply this. It almost brings us to the point where maybe we should just chuck this phrase and forget about the whole thing. But the truth is, in spite of the difficulties, none of what we've just said nullifies or negates the imperative at the beginning of verse 17 to obey our leaders and submit to them. In fact, I think we've actually gone too far. I think because of the cultural difficulties and because of the biblical difficulties, many of us have just become fearful of any kind of authority in the church. And we've stripped Hebrews 13, 17 of any significant meaning at all. So what then does it mean? What does it mean to submit to our leaders and obey our leaders? Well, I think part of the meaning and part of the understanding is found in the two words obey obey and submit. So let's just talk about those two words for a moment. The word obey, the original word behind our translation obey, the original word in the original language of the New Testament, is actually a word that is used many, many times in the New Testament. It's a very broad word. In fact, even in the book of Hebrews, in Hebrews chapter 2 and verse 13, it's translated trust. In Hebrews chapter 6 and verse 9, same word, it's translated be persuaded by In Luke chapter 11 and verse 22, it's translated rely on. And therefore, it comes to mean obey here in chapter 13, verse 17, because that is what we do when we trust someone. When we trust someone, we tend to follow that person. When we're persuaded by someone, we follow that person. When we rely on someone, we follow that person. We listen to them, we follow them. So that word obey really comes from the idea of trusting and relying on and being persuaded by. Now, the word for submit is very different. The word in the original language of the New Testament that is translated here, submit, this is the only time in the entire New Testament that this word is used. It's not found anywhere else in the New Testament. So if we're going to try to get a better understanding of what is behind this word, then we need to look outside of the Bible. And in the culture of the day, this word was used to refer to yielding to someone. It was used to referring to giving up our chair to someone. So with all that in mind, it's telling us that when it comes to submitting to our leaders, we yield to them, we're willing to give up our position to them, we're willing to give up our chair to them. So with all that in mind, how do we how do we apply this phrase? Obey your leaders and submit to them. With all of the culture difficulties, all of the biblical difficulties, you know, all of the, the meanings of the word obey and the meanings of the word submit. How do we, how do we, how do we, how do we put the rubber to the road here? How do we, how do we uh, follow through on this and apply this to our lives? Well, I was thinking about that. I think this is a tough thing. It's not an easy thing. And so I want to share with you five thoughts on the application of this phrase, obey your leaders and submit to them. And once again, I am going to defer to someone who is a lot smarter and a lot wiser and a lot more thoughtful to me. So these five things that I'm going to share with you, once again, come from the teaching of John Piper, because I think he just nails it. I think he gets this better than any of us could. So let me share these things with you. Here's number one. In light of everything that we've said, the directive of to obey our leaders and submit to us should be thought of this way. Number one, our church body should have a bent toward trusting our leaders. In other words, our bent, our propensity should be toward trusting our leaders. That should be the kind of way we lean. That should be our bent. Here's the second thing. Our church body should have a disposition of supportiveness in our attitudes, our words, our our actions toward the, the, the goals of our church leadership, all right? We should have a disposition to support them in our attitudes, in our words, in our actions when it comes to the goals that they establish for our church. We should have a disposition to support them. Here's a third thing. Our church body should have a joyful inclination to comply with our leader's instructions. In other words, we shouldn't have this kind of inclination, right? Like, I guess so, if I have to, I don't really want to. That should not be our inclination. We should have a joyful inclination to comply with our leader's instruction. Here's a fourth thing. Our church body should want to imitate our leader's faith. So we should have a bent toward trusting them, a disposition of supportiveness, a joyful inclination to comply, a want to imitate. And here's the fifth thing that John Piper mentions. As a church body, when the leaders of our church speak in unison, we should be very slow to reject their direction. In other words, when when Jamie and Wes and, and the elders of our church come to this church and they lay out for this church a direction for this church, and they speak in unison, we as the people of the church should be very slow to reject their direction. I think the reason I like these five phrases is because I think these five phrases really capture both sides of the biblical truth. Part of that is that leaders are fallible, and they should not lord it over the flock. But the, part, the other part of it is that we, the people, should follow good leadership. So how do you bring those two together? I think those phrases that we just mentioned a moment ago capture that. They capture that. So we're reminded in all of this that we should pray with all our hearts that God would kind of deepen these truths among us for the good of our church family. I think that's why the author of Hebrews in verse thir- or chapter 13, verse 7 begins talking about church leadership by saying, remember your leaders. When he says, remember your leaders, he's not saying, remember them at Christmas and send them a card. He's not saying, remember them at Halloween and give them a candy bar. When he says, remember your leaders, he's pray for them. Think about them all the time. Be mindful of them. Be praying for them. And then in verse 18, he says, pray for us. Who is the us? It's the leaders. Why? Because verse 18 says, we desire to act honorably in all things. I believe that that is the desire of the leadership of our church. They desire to act honorably in all things, but it's not easy. It's not easy for them. It's not easy for us. So we need to remember them. We need to remember them every day. We need to pray for them because the objective of leadership is enormous, and the resources, though they are adequate are not always easy to get our arms around. And for we, the people, responding to leadership properly, it's not always an easy thing for us either. So there is a lot of food for thought in these verses. There is a lot of food for prayer. A lot for us to talk about in our small groups. A lot for us to think about as families. A lot for us to be directed toward as a church body. A lot of spiritual food here for our church. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we thank you for the instruction of these verses today. Um, We admit, Father, that uh, they are in some ways difficult instructions. Maybe not so much difficult in terms of just interpreting them and sort of breaking them down in terms of the culture in which we are immersed in. They're difficult in terms of some of the other biblical principles that we find that may cause us to be hesitant and wary, and yet, Father, these are the these are the instructions of your word, and you call us to follow your word. So, Father, today we, we lift up the leaders of, of our church. We thank you, Father, for the objective that you've given them to them of advantaging and benefiting and goals. We pray for them, Lord, that they would look to the Word of God, that they would look to to, to the Lord Jesus Christ and direct us toward the Lord Jesus Christ, that they would look to their own own examples and and care for we the people as they they carry out these responsibilities. Father, help them to find, find great joy in the work that they do. Help us, Father, to encourage them to be joyful in our attitudes, in our conduct, in our words, in our behaviors. Might we ask ourselves, what am I doing to help them to be joyful in the work that they're doing? Because if they're not joyful, that's no advantage to my soul. Father, help them to realize, help us to realize that that the work of church leadership is a serious work. It's not a sad work. It's not not a, a depressing work. But it is a serious work, a sober work. So, Father, might we remember them. Might we pray for them that they would do their work honorably. In Christ's name we do pray. Amen thank you for listening to the Harvest Lakeshore sermon podcast Harvest Lakeshore exists to glorify God through the fulfillment of the Great Commission for more information about us visit harvestlakeshore.org